Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Trainee to ECT podcast. Uh, my name is Adam, and I work for Twinkle, and my job role is all about helping those who are training to teach or even embarking on their ECT induction years go into the classroom feeling confident. Uh, my background in teaching extends to 12 years and also four years teacher training, uh, predominantly specializing in primary education, uh, early years, special educational needs, and PE as well. I'm also joined here by my colleague, Simeon. Simeon, would you like to introduce yourself and say hello again? Hello, everyone. My name's Simeon, and I'm a segment assistant at Twinkle. So my role is primarily to manage our Twitter account and our Pinterest. You can find me on there. I'm always up for a chat about education. I was a primary school teacher for eight years. I trained five teachers during that time, and I'm just very passionate about helping people start their career on the right foot. Great stuff. Cheers, Simeon. And we've also got a new guest with us here today, one of our colleagues, Sophie. Sophie, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit, us a little bit even, about what it is you do? Hello, guys. I'm Sophie. So I am one of the new writers for Twinkle Digest, and I write specifically for trainee teachers. So Twinkle Digest is the new education update service for Twinkle. So we provide the latest news, the latest information that affects educators every day in daily digestible chunks to make it easy for your, our readers. So I'm writing specifically for trainee teachers. So anything that's happening in the world of education that I think is relevant to you guys, I will try and break it down, make it easier for you and enable you to understand what's affecting your training. I love the summary of that. Uh, digestible chunks. I love that way. I love how you've summarised that, Sophie. Yes, if you haven't checked out some of Sophie's work, we post on a daily basis uh, the content that Sophie produces, and it's absolutely brilliant. So do check it out for yourself. So what is the purpose of today's podcast? Well, there's been an undercurrent of issues for those that are training. Uh, those are embarking on the ECTs at the inductions at the moment, coming to us with questions and needing support around behavior management. In particular, the sort of low-level behavior management issues, the chatting, the fidgeting, the hands up, the not being quiet when you've asked them for the 10th time to be quiet. And we thought, well, there's something we'll be able to do with this. Uh, we can be able, definitely be able to support. And Simon, I know you in particular were reaching out to the vast community you've gathered on Twitter. Uh, would you like to take the listeners through that a little bit for us? Absolutely, Adam. So every week we put out a poll on Twitter. You can find those on Tuesdays and they run for the rest of the week. Um, so this started when we were kind of just asking how the ECT year is going so far. And actually, it wasn't the result we thought most people put they were finding it tough. So we decided to ask, well, why are you finding it tough? And behavior management came out as the issue. So then we asked a bit more, well, what specifically? And low-level disruptive behavior came out as the issue. So obviously, we want to do whatever we can to help. And we've come up with a special format today. We're going to take some behavior scenarios you might typically experience in school to do with low-level behavior management. Some are real from actual ECTs on Twitter, and some I've made up from my vast experience in teaching, but we're going to try and guide you through those and give you our tips. I will say right at the start, and I think Adam and Sophie would probably agree, there's no one-size-fits-all approach for behavior. You know, um, Absolutely. Take it with a grain of salt. Not everything will work for everyone all the time. No, no. Behaviour behavior management is such a broad uh, topic. 
Uh, there's so many different approaches that work for some teachers that don't work for others. And it's very dependent on you as the teacher, uh, the situation, environment you find yourself in, and also the different nature of children that you'll end up working with during your career. Every a child will need a slightly different approach, just as much uh, towards their learning is the same uh, with yeah, their behavior management. So you've got to have a rep repertoire of different approaches, different ideas, and really understand why you're looking to expect certain behaviors and how you're going to get, get that out of your class at the same time. So uh, let's go through one of the first scenarios that we've got for you. So I'll do the first one, guys, and then we'll pick it up from there. So the first scenario is you're an ECT working in a year two classroom. The children always take a long time to settle in after break time and lunch time. So you end up losing 10 minutes every lesson, getting them on track. So what do you think, guys? How would you look to approach this? What questions would you ask yourself? Um, what would be a starting point if you were the person in this situation? Well, firstly, I think trainees should remind themselves that everyone has had this experience at some point. It doesn't matter oh, yes. what year group you've taught. Everyone has had that class that just takes so long to get settled. And then when you start calculating all of the time you've lost, it starts to get really scary and you kind of might flap and think, oh my goodness, how can I deal with this? But everyone has been there. And part of your training, it's about dealing with these situations, experiencing them and getting better as you go on. There is not a single trainee teacher or ECT who is managing everything perfectly first time. So I think that's really worth saying. I think trainees put so much pressure on themselves to be spot on straight away and that's just not the case and that's okay um so i am my experience is secondary i meant to say that earlier so i've taught the older ones the the scary teenagers oh, those there. <laughs> and actually the thought of a year two class to me is far more intimidating than some unruly year 11s um <laughs> so i think I'll, I'll have a go at commenting on this one but uh, you can absolutely laugh at me if you think anything i suggest would not work with young children but in that situation i think re-establishing routines would be key um, always trying to start your lesson the same way so the children learn really quickly what is expected of them. And the more you practice that, the more the students will understand, you know, how they should behave and how long things should take. Yeah, I completely agree, Sophie. Um, I will say with this, it really depends on the class. It might not be you. I've had years where this has been a real issue and other years where I've you know, the class has come in straight away, ready to go. Um, sometimes it isn't your particular teaching style. One thing I would say is have something ready for them to do as soon as they come in. Um, and and it could be something kind of low-key, easy, relaxing. Handwriting's a good one. Maybe just a how are you feeling or a yoga or just some small five-minute activity they can do um, when they get in the class, maybe there's a question on the board and they can write down their answers on their whiteboards um, and that will help. At least they're doing something productive. Yeah, that's really leading on to some of the examples because uh, when I was thinking about this scenario in question, I'm with you, Sim, in some classes, they just eat out the palm of your hand immediately. They're doing exactly what we want them to do, exactly when you ask them to do so. And then they're the ones that are a little bit more challenging at times, shall we say. And with these, I think most importantly is the children have come in from a very hectic, energetic, boisterous environment to suddenly a completely different setting. And for some of them, it takes them a little while longer to transition into the expectations you want in the classroom. So the idea of having 
a quick activity for them to pick up, especially if it can be a calm activity. That's usually a good starting point. I found calming um, activities, the yoga idea, the um, peer massage is a nice one that I know younger children it's nice to do with, but I've done that throughout primary education. And on top of that, sometimes just having that real clear expectation. Sometimes I've used things like timers on the board. It's a bit of a challenge that they've got to complete something within a time frame. So everyone's got a purpose, but you're really controlling how long that's going to last for. And it's also allowing children uh, the expectation of, okay, there might be some transitional needs like, oh, I've left my coat outside. Uh, oh, I need to go to the toilet. Oh, I need this time to do these things within that time frame. And then at the end of it, it's time to start the lesson. The expectation is at the end of that little conclusion, everyone's ready to start the lesson that you want to start. So let's pick up our next one. Simeon, would you like to read out the next one to us? Yeah, sure thing, Adam. Although I think, Sophie, this one's going to be in your wheelhouse. Um, so this one says, no you're an ECT in a secondary school. You are finding your year nine English class problematic. The main issue is that students are chatting with each other and not focusing during your lessons. Okay, so in secondary, year nine are a little bit notorious for this sort of behaviour. They've kind of lost their keen uh, cuteness that they had in year seven into year eight, and they haven't quite got the maturity of the older students yet. So year nine are often the kind of the rogue year that may frighten teachers a little bit. However, you can absolutely get to the point where they will do what you want them to do if you build up those relationships with them. And also, as I said earlier as, as well, establish routines. So if you make it clear that your lessons are going to follow the same format and you have the same expectations every single time, the students will quickly understand where your boundaries are and know exactly what they can and, and can't get away with. So with chatty classes, I think frequently revisiting your class rules with when you can speak and when you can't speak will help them to understand that there is a very, very clear line and they know exactly what happens when they cross it. Adam, this is quite far removed from our experience. Should we have a go on this one? I think, I think there's a lot of similarities. And I think the idea, as you say, Sophie, of having very clear expectations, what you would like to see from them and keeping that I imagine the older I've worked with children in primary settings, uh, the, the idea of consistent application was becoming more and more key because there's a definite, a definite sense of uh, injustice if things aren't dealt with equally and there's a consistency to your practice and that only undermines what you are trying to achieve with those children because they've got to see that it's firm but fair at the same time. So those key, those key ideas of really strict application of them, consistency of them, and setting up your ground rules from the get-go is uh, much easier than halfway through a lesson. I'm mean, to stop you teaching entirely to reaffirm to the class, actually, do you, you do remember from the last lesson, this is the expectation that I want from you. Set up, set your stall like get going straight away. And make use of your school's behaviour policy. So in secondary school, students will have you know, a variety of different teachers. They're traveling between classes all the time. You don't know what's happened in the lesson before and what's gone on in their day. But the school's behavior policy is the constant across all subjects and all teachers. So if you're strict with sticking to that behavior policy and your fellow colleagues in your different subjects are also strict with sticking to that behavior policy, then that clearly sets the boundaries and the expectations for the students that, okay, it doesn't matter if it's maths, English, history, drama, 
this is how the school expects you to behave. So really stick to that behavior policy and don't um, budge on it because it's been created for a reason. Yeah, and I uh, will add to this um, from my limited experience that I know there's a tipping point when it comes to routines. Certainly with younger children, it takes kind of 30 days plus to break bad habits. But once you get a routine properly established, people will crave it and they'll remind you if you forget. I, you're both nodding. You, you've experienced this. But there's there's a pain barrier to go through with establishing any routine, I think. Yeah. And that's why the worst part of the year, I think, is is September when you meet all of your classes and you're having to establish those routines and those boundaries. That's the tough bit. You have to persevere. You have to just keep doggedly doing the same thing again and again. And by kind of October half term onwards, you know, the point in the year that we're reaching, hopefully you'll start seeing that even if a handful of them remember the routine and the expectation, that means you've got a win there and you're you know, gradually increase the, the number of students who know exactly what's expected of them. And the more they see their peers following those rules as well, the more they're like, oh, okay, I should probably do that too. Great stuff, guys. So the next scenario that we've come up with, it's going back to our neck of the woods, Simeon, uh, back in the uh, primary school setting. So we're an ECT this time, working in a reception class. So some of the youngest in the school, the children call out during your teaching. You try to keep your input short, but find they're being dragged out by all of the interruptions. So guys, I suppose some of the things that we've already spoke about will still be at play here. Uh, clear expectations, setting your stall out early, consistent application. Was there anything that stood out to anybody else? Because I had a couple of bits based on predominantly early years experience. Um, I had a few ideas that I wanted to add. Um, but is there anything you guys wanted to add first of all before I jump in? For me, the big one, especially with younger children, would be praise. So always give your attention to the child who's doing the right thing, even oh, yes. if there's only one. Um, but it can be hard when you're mid-flow and someone calls out and it distracts you not to go completely straight to them it, it really does take a bit of discipline to just you know maybe do a, a non-verbal signal maybe just put yes. your hand up and then go to the child who's doing the right thing who ah i can see you're really listening you know da, da, da. yeah i've literally sat, stood there carried on teaching like i haven't heard someone shouting out and you obviously the listeners aren't, aren't able to see this but literally stood there doing a non-verbal communication of looking at said child with the teacher look and your hand goes in the air to mind what you're after and you, you just carry on and it's just a visual communication to that child to remind them to put the hand up and all of a sudden they'll go, oh, and the hand goes up. And all of a sudden, excellent, now I can give you that attention you're after, praise you for putting your hand up, reminding you of what I wanted you to do. The lesson hasn't stopped. You haven't stopped the teaching to deal with what is essentially a low-level behavior issue. You kept the flow of the learning going, and that child is now conformed to what you're looking for them to do. You've got to bear in mind when it comes to low-level behavior, you have to know when there's that, I suppose, tipping point scenario where it's becoming so disruptive that it's stopping everyone from learning. But if you're stopping the entire lesson to deal with one minor issue, you are stopping everybody else from learning because one person, or maybe a few, are just doing a few little things you don't particularly want them to do. So having all these different strategies that you can rely upon that don't invoke you having to stop the lesson entirely are really going to be very, very pertinent because it would be frowned upon to stop and go, oi, excuse me, I've told you, you are not supposed to be shouting out in lessons. Do you know the uh, classroom rules? And repeating and re reeling them all off 
during that entire time, the rest of the class are sat there going, oh, that was doing the right thing. Can we can we like continue, Mr. Kenyon? Can we carry on doing what we're doing? Yeah, and you've oh, just wow. reinforced the behaviour. If anything, you've given that child yep. way too much attention. It's an easy trap to fall into, though. An easy, easy trap. I've just got very reminiscent of calling myself Mr. Kenyon. That's a long time ago. Anywho, moving on. Uh, so my other scenario was having non-visual visuals of the classroom rules you're after, usually on a board somewhere nearby. So when you are talking, you can carry on talking because usually you're up and about and moving. You don't like to be too stationary if you're working with younger children, otherwise they pounce on you. Uh, you've got something nearby with the class rules and you can just point to it and just remind you with a visual cue of this is the behaviour after. Some teachers have the lanyards with the visuals on. Had that predominantly a lot in um, special educational needs teaching schools that I worked in. But literally just showing the one that you're after and just co- continuing as you go. And the children all being reinforced with the same things all the time, but he's not breaking the flow of your teaching and the entire teaching input. That was a real one that came up to me. And sometimes now and next boards, because often if you're getting those that are being very disruptive, you can have one that's just for the entire class. If you aren't familiar, essentially it is a board with two boxes. The now is a visual of what you're doing now, usually the lesson. And afterwards, it will be what's happening next. So it might be they're going to do, they're going to be on the carpet. And after that, they're going to go work with the teacher. Or even better, they're going to go and play because that's inevitably what we want to go and do. But the children could be reminded, oh, can we go and play? It's point two. First, it's now work. After the next play, and it's just constantly reinforcing what the expectation is now and what they'll be coming on to next because a lot of anxiety is drawn from children not really knowing what might be happening next, uh, what to expect. And again, that consistency and application of routines is only going to help with that as well. Anything you guys wanted to add to that one in particular? Um, just that if you have a particular pupil who kind of is their habit of constantly calling out, then making them some sort of visual card that they have like a laminated card or something in front of them with their targets which might be remain quiet while the teacher is speaking and I found before I'm thinking back to a year eight class I had a couple of years ago where a student just always wanted to to shout out and I gave that student a laminated card that had their targets on and I also gave them my best whiteboard pen And I would give that student a nod when they had met their target and they would tick on their laminated target card when they had met that target. And that meant, you know, oh, I have stayed quiet for five minutes. I have listened to the teacher. The amount of joy that student got just from ticking off on the same laminated card every time, you know, it works in secondary school as well. It's so funny that all the things that you're saying, I'm like, yeah, teenagers love that stuff too. Give teenagers stickers. My goodness me, they are putty in your hands. So giving that student a particular target sheet that they can tick off, that might help if it's always the same repeat offender. Yeah, I think that's great. Um, The only other thing I could think of uh, was Sometimes it's good to just have a joke. Uh, I used to have a poster up that said, raise your hand if you moustache a question with a picture of a moustache on it. And like Adam said, I always, you know, if if someone was talking when they shouldn't be, I'd point to that or I'd do like a little moustache on my face and the kids would know what I was saying. Excellent moustache based humour there. I really wish I'd known about that one before I left teaching swimming because I really like that now. Um, yeah, never <laughs> yeah. mind. Another time. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> Um, so, oh, yeah, oh, this is my age group. So you're an ECT in a year four class. Many of the children are not on task. They constantly ask for your help, even after you've explained things clearly and asked them to have a go themselves. If you don't come over and help them straight away, very little happens. 
So I've actually experienced this one in real life. And unfortunately, the children had gotten into bad habits and that's not necessarily something you can break quickly. It was a, a long, slow process of sort of training them to do a little bit more themselves, a little bit more themselves. No, no, you have a go. Um, what really helped me was really differentiating and having levels they could go in at so having you know like chili levels so you know mild medium spicy maybe an extra mild so basically a task so so simple that no one could not do it but you know at least it, it got them into the habit of working and then okay now I've done that I'm going to go get the next one and try that so um it was a little more work up front for me because I had to kind of differentiate an extra level than I would normally but it worked out better overall in the lesson. I came up with scenarios like this uh, whilst I was doing supply teaching because obviously I'd be in lots of different classes all the time and you wouldn't necessarily have a support assistant always available to you whilst you work there. So I might not be completely aware of what was what was normal, uh, what was their normal routine, what was normal in terms of children's behaviours and children try and work out very quickly how much they can get away with. So I used to, I created self-help boards which essentially were boards that were would give a lot of visuals or, or suggestions, essentially, of what children could use to self-help themselves. So if it was during an English lesson, then there'd be visuals of suggestions of things where they can go to for more support. So it was... Uh, asking a peer, asking an adult, uh, as in a TA or something of that description, a dictionary if they're looking for spellings. There was lots of different suggestions that they were to refer to. If they refer to that and gone through all those self-help opportunities and still need to require or required help, they absolutely could do so. And they just had to wait until we got around to those tables. But I found more children more often than not quite like the idea of, oh, I'm getting a bit stuck in this. I want to go do it myself. And they go away, go find what they needed by self-selecting what they thought was the most appropriate means. And it was getting them to use other equipment that was going to assist them. And they weren't always, always reliant upon myself. When we got very good with things like this, especially if we were doing research and if the school had facilities, they'd have iPads and or other facilities to actually search for information they were looking for, especially effective if I was working with the older children, I found. I think as well, if, if you've got somebody who just loves asking questions because it's it's a way to get their voice heard, then actually setting them a challenge of saying, well, you're only allowed to ask three questions during this part of the lesson. And it's up to you to decide what your three most important questions are. And as soon as you've used up those questions, you can't ask me anymore. And it can become a bit of a game and a bit of a challenge. And I've had pupils before where they've used up all of their questions and then they go, oh, my goodness, I've not got any left. And I'm like, well, that's the challenge. You're going to have to go and ask your friend. You're going to have to find it out yourself. And then actually students learn to self-regulate and go, OK, I'm only going to ask a question when I really, really need to, not for the sake of it. And, and like you said, Adam, it's about instilling this idea of, being able to find things out for yourself, which is a skill they need throughout schooling. And, and still, I mean, thinking about some of my A-level students, they still didn't know how to find out things for themselves. So the, the lower in school you get that skill taught, the better. <laughs> yeah, taking ownership and responsibility of the learning is just so important. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There, I've just thought there's actually kind of a, a 
a remix way of doing this as well that I used to do. So I'd have the task ready. I'd start with everyone on the carpet with me or in high school, I assume you wouldn't have them on the carpet. You just have them, you know, around you. Uh, I do like five minutes input, yo, quick input. If you feel confident to do it, you can go to the desk and do it now. If you're not confident, stay with me. I'll give you a bit extra. And then, you know, another five minutes. Okay. A few more people go off. And then the people who are still with you, they just get the task and do it with you on a clipboard. And that way your TA sort of supervising the people being independent. Or if you don't have a TA, you know, you're shooting them a glance every now and then. If they've got a question, they can come back. But essentially you've got the people who wouldn't have been working and the people who are happy to work get the reward of being able to be trusted to do it themselves. That sounds great. And I'm still chuckling at the thought of some of the enormous year 11 boys I used to teach sitting on a carpet. <laughs> Cross your legs, Halloween. Cross your legs. <laughs> well, you said they liked stickers. Have you ever tried it? <laughs> <laughs> There's literally not enough room in the classroom. <laughs> Okay, let's see what's next. So we have, oh, you're a trainee teacher in a year six classroom. The children behave well for the class teacher who has a strict no-nonsense approach, but they start pushing the boundaries as soon as you try to teach. It's starting to affect your confidence, especially during lessons like drama, art and PE, which should be fun. So Sophie, this might actually be closer to your age group. What do you, what do you think? And with year sevens, what do they come in to high school like? I mean, year sevens, when they join secondary school, they regress a little bit. They become like babies because they are the youngest. And I think of year sevens as these tiny, tiny little humans who can't do anything for themselves, which is so funny because to you guys, year six, you know, they're the big kids. Yeah, they're the big (laughs) cool kids. (laughs) They look so small to me. And I think because obviously secondary school is so large and most of the pupils are so much bigger than them, they suddenly become the babies again. But this idea of pupils behaving, behaving for somebody else and then behaving differently in yours, that's really relevant to secondary because, as I said earlier, every student will have multiple teachers. And sometimes you'll get them coming into your classroom and being like, well, like, well, we don't do it that way in so-and-so's lesson. And that's infuriating as a secondary school teacher, which is why you have to very much make it clear what your expectations are. I think a class contract is a great thing to do to make with them. Like everyone agrees how we're going to behave, how that lesson is going to be handled. So perhaps that trainee could try and make a class contract with the group of, well, this is how we're going to behave in my lessons. And if you don't, then you know there's going to be consequences. I also think going and observing that teacher, the teacher you know who has them eating out of the palm of their hand, Go and observe them as much as you can. Write down every little behavior management thing that you notice them doing and trial them in your own teaching. That's what your training is about. It's about trying out all of these different methods that you see in other teachers and working out what's best for you. I just want to circle back to your uh, class contract idea, Sophie, because you're absolutely right. I found that works with the youngest of the youngest children, but at the same time, written into that, you're able to say, okay, this is my expectations of you, writing in some expectations of yourself as the teacher from the children. What are they after from you? And often it was things like uh, having fun lessons, having a good time, being able to ask for help and you being willing to support. And then little things that crop up about my own teaching. So 
when I worked with the youngest, there was always the agreement that I would only ever shout if someone was going to be in danger because my voice carried quite a bit in a classroom, especially with younger children. And obviously, the viewers out there don't know, but I'm very tall. So me towering over a classroom of four and five-year-olds and suddenly shouting, it's not the nicest experiences. So obviously, I refrained from doing so, but it was written into the contract and the children knew that was the expectation that they had of me. And equally, I had expectations of them for their behavior. And you can do the same thing throughout the school with the older children, as you're saying. It is a, a tricky situation when you've already got a class of children behaving in a certain way and you've gone through a period of time where this has been the case because in a way there are now bad habits that the children have instilled and now it's a case of trying to unpick them and reaffirming the situation what the expectations are so you are having this consistent uh, scenario where learning's being lost essentially and children are enjoying the lessons themselves so having very clear clear and consistent application of your rules is going to be paramount. Outlining straight away at the beginning of every lesson the do's and the don'ts, making the right choices, and what will happen if they make the wrong choices, as you say, Sophie. There are consequences to our behaviours if they aren't what we're expecting of in the classroom. And use of uh, support staff, uh, senior leadership, and the school's behaviour management policy are only going to assist you moving forward with this. Yeah, I completely agree. And I love the class contract. The only thing I'd add is don't be afraid to get some help from this teacher you're working with. So say to them, um, yeah, I've noticed they're not behaving the same way for me as they do for you. Would you mind backing me up when I go over the rules with them next time? Just them being there with you while you're saying the rules is a powerful psychological we're in this together kind of effect. They don't even have to say anything, just them being there will help. Absolutely. And and seeking the guidance and advice and support of the teachers whose classes you're taking over, who are acting as your mentors and so on. That's such an, a vital part of your teacher training. And you should never be afraid to ask those people for help. They are there to support you. And as I said earlier, you cannot expect yourself to be getting everything spot on or know everything in your training year. Everything is new to you. And every single person who's helping you, it was new to them at one point as well. They'll remember how it felt to be in that situation and be happy to help you. Yeah. And uh, I'd also add that year six, I know they come in all cute to you, Sophie, but they have a reputation in primary school for being the too big for their boots year group sometimes. Because <laughs> they're, they're starting to become teenagers. They're exerting their independence. They are at the top of the food chain now. Not that they're eating other children, but you know what I mean. <laughs> they are they are the top of the school. They're the coolest. They're the oldest. They're the biggest. So that that can sometimes be a factor. And it all comes crashing down like a house of cars when they move to secondary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this one comes to us from Twitter. Uh, this is a teacher. She has two boys in her class who are just total troublemakers. These are her words. They're constantly disturbing the whole class and just laugh whenever you punish them. She's had SLT involved, but it hasn't had much impact. And she feels at a loose end and any help would be great. First thing I picked up from this one was the fact that she is acknowledging that these two boys laugh uh, upon being challenged on these behaviours or if they're being punished effectively. So you can tell straight away these two chaps in particular enjoy the attention they're getting. 
rightly or wrongly, if it's good or bad attention, they enjoy the attention that it brings to them. So sometimes easier said than done, but there's a myriad of points to start with this one. I think the first one you have to go back to the bare bones of, okay, why? Why are these two boys choosing to behave in the way they do? There may may be things that are going on outside the classroom, which while she may not have complete control over, it allows you to unpick the causality behind it and then potentially look to implement certain things that are individual behavior plans, essentially that going down that sort of line of, okay, what could we put into place that will assist these two boys in making the right decisions, unpicking these ideas and not, unless absolutely necessary, giving them attention by having to intervene, stop um, whatever you are doing or lesson to reprimand them, effectively giving them attention for the wrong reasons. You want to construct scenarios essentially where you can give them attention for doing the right things, for making the good choices, however small they may be. Even if it's not yourself, if you've got a support assistant, that support assistant being delegated to support them or be on the ball for so as soon as they're doing something they're after, they're getting praise for it. Because it's praise after all, and that's something they will be craving for the right or wrong reasons. So if you can give them for the right reasons, it's going to encourage them to repeat those behaviours, especially if you're not acknowledging the negative behaviours. So the less attention you can give them if you have to reprimand them, the more effective it is. So keeping your responses very short to to a case case of if you're having to stop them doing something, if you're having to remove them from a session or whatever the the, uh, reprimand is, it's short, it's succinct, it's to the point, and you move on. You don't keep giving them more attention than they need because the rest of the children deserve your attention because you're trying to teach them. Um, it's hard to sort of give out sort of more specifics with not knowing the two boys, not knowing the situation in your class in terms of support and things like that. But SLT coming into support, I imagine they will be able to give you some suggestions of what practices would work and what wouldn't work. And also maybe worth speaking to any class teachers who have taught this class previously and just find out what strategies they employed, as I'm sure you'll be able to pick up some good advice from them. I also think being communicative with parents, you don't want to wait until parents evening for them to be hearing this about about those children. You need to get parents on board straight away, really speak to them frequently about their behavior and also celebrate when they're good as well. So I found in the past that if I've got a particularly tricky student, but they've had a really good lesson, if I ring home and talk about that good lesson, then I've got that and I can use it in the future when perhaps there's another poor lesson. I can say, oh, I did contact you. We have had good experiences in the past. I want to see more of that good behavior that they can do. So again, acknowledging the positive behavior, particularly to parents, can get them on side to support them and to support you because you are all a team. I should have added, um, I don't want to give too much information out, but I will say these these boys are in a primary school and for various reasons, um, she's not been able to liaise much with the parents, but that's a really good point, actually, Sophie. Getting the parents on side can make a huge difference. Um, for me, whenever I hear this, especially about young children, it kind of it worries me because for them to be used to being told off to the point where they can laugh at it and you don't feel like it's nervous laughter it is worrying. And going back to Adam's point, it makes me wonder, well, how much positivity have they got in their lives? Is this all they are getting to the point where they've become numb to it? And I completely agree with you, Adam. There isn't a one-size-fits-all approach here. 
I get diagnostic. I try and work out how we've got to this point. And it may be that the work now with these two children is establishing a relationship, making them feel safe in school and getting things to just a comfortable level where they respect you, you respect them, and then the learning can happen. Um, With some children, they're just not ready to learn because of where they are emotionally or what's going on in their home life. And trying, trying to get them to where everyone else is can't happen until they feel safer and they're they're all right with you. I know I know that's kind of a hard answer, but that, that's been my experience. I have to say, Simeon, while you were talking then, I was just almost uh, harkening back to my days where I can think of one child in particular who had, I had similar experiences with, and home life was very fractured, and they got a lot of attention for doing the wrong things because that's what they got attention for. Otherwise, they didn't get any attention whatsoever. And also that child throughout their childhood saw issues being dealt with by being angry, by being aggressive, and so therefore demonstrated the same behaviors to resolve any form of conflict. And what I often found was is, yes, building a reputation, sorry, a a relationship with this child, a professional one, and taking them aside when it was appropriate, uh, away from other peers, and talking to them just as a one-to-one, and just sort of saying that you're there to help them, and you want them to succeed and to do well, and you want to praise them. So asking them, especially some children, are very good at sort of saying, well, if you go, well, why do you choose? Why did you make that choice? Why do you want to do that? You would be surprised sometimes at the answers that they come out with that you can then start talking around, because they're suddenly you're showing interest in them and how they're feeling and how how they are doing and sometimes that could be so powerful in breaking down some of these initial barriers it doesn't mean their behavior will be corrected overnight but you're making inroads in making a professional relationship with that child helping unpick the behaviors help them to understand that you are on their side and you want them to do well but you need them to get on side with you for that in order in order for that to happen so it's not easy no nothing to do with behavior management ever comes readily easily it takes time it takes repetition it takes experience and it doesn't matter how experienced a teacher is they're always going to learn more when it comes to behavior management because every child teaches you something new yeah i think for me the the ultimate thing that relates to behavior management is relationships when you have built relationships with pupils they will want to to learn they will want to be with you in that classroom you can't have good behavior management without having built those relationships so as, as trainees, make that your focus straight away. Even when you're just observing classes, go around, build those relationships with those pupils because that will make behaviour management so much easier in the future. Oh, yeah, and I will say in the spirit of being diagnostic, note down when these kind of incidents are happening. For example, is it every time you teach English and maths and it's not happening during your art lesson? Just keep an eye on when it's happening for a couple of weeks and see if there's a pattern. That might really help. Um, The last thing I'd say is for some children, it is work just being in a room full of people that makes them uncomfortable because of the upbringing they've had or situations they've been in. And some children genuinely don't know how to get appropriate attention from their peers, never mind adults. So they'll just do it in any way they can. Yeah, it's, it's hard work being a teacher, isn't it? There's a lot of emotional involvement. And, and breathe, breathe, yeah. And breathe, everyone. <laughs> I wish there was a, an answer we could just give that would take some of this off people, but it, it is part of the job and sometimes it's heavy. 
Yeah, it's a profession at the end of the day. Everyone's going into a serious profession uh, with a lot of responsibilities. Uh, but you acknowledge those when you go into it, that you're accepting that responsibility to help better these children's lives and give them better opportunities moving forward. One aspect of that is behavior management and it takes time it takes experience and as sophie said right at the start having realistic expectations of yourself given your period either of training or during your ect induction that some people behavior management comes to them like second nature a duck to water for others it takes time accept where you currently are where you want to be and how you're going to get there the sooner you can do that the more comfortable you will feel about where you're currently at in your development so thank you everyone for listening here today. Um, obviously this has been quite a broad topic, so I imagine this recording might be a bit bigger than some of the other ones, a bit longer with a bit more detail, but hopefully you found it useful. We could have carried on talking for another hour or so. There is just that much when it comes to behavior management, but we do have a lot of advice and guidance that uh, people are coming to us for, for on a daily basis. And we have a lot of resources and further support in the pipeline to be coming soon on the Twinkle website. Uh, Simeon, in a moment, is going to go through, just run through our social media um, platforms. So if you do need to get in touch for any personal advice in regards to behavior management, or anything to do with your training or your ECT induction, don't hesitate to get in touch. So, Simon, do you want to take us through them? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we've got several Facebook groups. We've got our Twinkle Trainee Teachers page, our ECTs page. We also have uh, an ECTs group and a Trainee Teachers group, and you can find those by searching on Facebook. On Twitter, we are at Trainee Twinkle, and I'm there five days a week. I'll be happy to answer any questions you have the best I can. We're also on Pinterest and Instagram. You can find those by searching uh, Twinkle Trainee or Trainee Twinkle. Uh, and this podcast should be available to you on Red Circle and Spotify. And finally, Sophie, just if anybody, in case they missed it right at the beginning, do you just want to uh, remind everyone about Twinkle Digest? Yep, of course. So Twinkle Digest is a daily education update service. So every day I am providing you with articles, blog posts and so on about what's going on in the world of education, how that affects your training, how that affects you as an ECT as well. And I also write magazine style articles just about the various aspects of teaching that you need to kind of learn and, and develop as you go through your, your teaching career. So make sure you follow me on Twitter at Sophie Digest. Um, I know on the, the Twinkle Trainee Teachers Twitter page, they retweet my articles as well. Um, but yeah, there's daily content there for you. And hopefully you'll find something that will help you out on your teaching journey. Oh, and I should just say, Hannah's not here today, but check out our TikTok. It's hilarious. Hannah does great videos on oh, TikTok. Absolutely. Yeah, great <laughs> guns on there. Lots of things to like, lots of funnies for you. So yeah, at any point, guys, if you ever need any help, don't hesitate to get in touch. Um, hopefully we'll uh, hear from you soon. If not, good luck with the training. Good luck with the ECT inductions. And we'll speak to, you, uh, speak to you next time. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.